0: John Dorenboss is many things. He's a former NFLer, a talented magician, a motivational public speaker, friend of Ellen, and also best-selling author of a great book, a memoir, Life is Magic, My Inspiring Journey. From tragedy to self-discovery, he's also a survivor. He's a survivor of a lot of different setbacks that he deals with in very direct terms in the book. What a privilege to have you in studio. You would not remember, but back in the day at Lehigh, which was my alma mater, and you were there for summer camp, I interviewed both you and Andy Reid and Harold Carmichael all on the same day. Big thrill for me.
1: Yeah, really Really good. I, I love it. First of all, I'm a fan. Thanks for having me. This is cool. Thank you for the invite to to come to your studio. And uh, Lehigh, man, how about those days? It was good times, yeah, it was right? Good time. Did you enjoy it. being there? I, I loved it. But I was also one of the guys that, look, I didn't do, I was a long snapper, so I was right. a specialist. So it's not like I was doing the hitting that these other guys were. So I had a lot of hanging out. <laughs> so for me, I was hanging out with all, all my guys, right? All my friends. And so the, the getaway, I, I loved it. Are you, do, do,
0: do the other guys, when you're a, a quote-unquote specialist, do they resent you for that? Like, I always wondered, how do they look at the kicker?
1: Um, they don't resent you. I'll tell you what they don't do. They don't mess with you. You know why? Because you have a lot of free time. And when you have free time and they're at practice, you have a lot of time to do pranks. Right. So most of the time, they befriend <laughs> you because they don't want to be on the bad side of a specialist. <laughs> uh, I've got some business to address with you. I'm so happy
0: that you're here today of all days. I'll, I'll tell you why. So when I was 12... And I grew up, I've spent my whole life in a 50 mile radius. When I was 12 and living, growing up in the Philly Burbs, Doug Henning was on Broadway with The Magic Show. And this is before your time, um, early 70s, as I say. And it sparked a magic craze in the country. And I and all my buddies were totally into it. And John, at that time, all the malls all had magic stores. Not at John Dornboss level. Okay. I'm, you know, but I was like a spike through balloon guy. Okay. I was like a rainbow ropes guy. I was a ball to jumbo square guy. I was a what's next guy. If you remember the sliding oh, of the, yeah. the, the, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I know
1: exactly. What you're talking so
0: about. like, that was all my stuff. And I kept a diary of my magic shows wow. because I would go out and perform for $5 a show. And right now I have a special on I'm bragging a little bit, but I have a special on Hulu and I tell a story about doing magic when I was a kid. And in in my diary, there's one entry that uh, I love uh, looking at. And it says, again, this is like me, 12, 13. This is a show I write for my cousin Brian's birthday party. A young boy about eight was there. He does magic and he told every secret I had. I just couldn't get him to stop. And as a result, the show didn't go over so well. Audience size, I always recorded how many were in the audience and how much I got paid. Audience size 12. This was a big payday. Ten dollars. Okay, and the reason why is I know that my aunt and uncle doubled my fee, right? (laughs) Why am I bringing it up to you? Because yesterday my mom sent me this photograph. That is the party that I—that's Brian's birthday party, and I'm in the garage at his house. The funny thing to me is the propane tank, like you know, the fancy set, right? Oh yeah.
1: But look at those pants, man! Did I not dress for the? uh... First of all, you're killing it. The attire. (laughs) I mean, you're killing You're dressed nicer at 12 than I ever have ever, have I ever performed looking better. This guy's got a jersey on. This is killer, man. But the propane tanks, I think, is setting it off.
0: But there's some kid, man. There's some kid in that audience who is saying, oh, here's how he's doing that. Here's how he's, here's how he's, does it spark any memories for when you first got started? It always seems like you were very sophisticated
1: in your approach. You know what? So when I first got into magic, it was an escape, right? So I lost both my parents. I went into this temporary foster home situation. And when I shuffled, it was the only time that the world quieted and it was the only time I was a kid. So I spent years just doing magic for myself, learning the moves, being obsessed with it, the intricacies, uh, the sleight of hand. And then also teaching myself how to learn, teaching myself how to get better at something that you struggle at. So. My coming out party was like, hey, my buddy plays the guitar and then he shreds, you know, Zeppelin or like Jimi sure. Hendrix or Clapton. Of course. So when I first did my first card trick, I, I think it was a little bit more than people were expecting out of like a 14-year-old. Uh, and then, you know, the the, the the famous heckler, right? How do you deal with a heckler? And, and I saw a guy do this really young and I thought it was phenomenal. He had a heckler and he basically gave the heckler a job. Hey, Okay, here's the thing. You don't think I'm any good. I get it. So here's what I'm going to do. Here's a box. You're going to sign a card. I'm going to get the signed card in the box in your hand that you're holding on to. Do not let me get in that box okay and then he kept going back to him hold that box he'd walk over and pretend to try and put something in the box and then and then the show's over and the and the guy's just standing there with a box right right i love it and he literally goes and thank you to the idiot heckler holding a box that meant nothing i'm out and i was like that's brilliant right Uh. and so give him a job i've actually i've been fortunate never had a problem with hecklers um you know but then again i credit to you i wasn't doing shows paid at 12 that's insane we were in it for
0: totally different purposes. I was in it for shits and giggles. You were in it because, yeah, you, you needed that escape in the same way that football provided you
1: that escape. Yeah, it, it, was, it was the perfect uh, combination. So my freshman year, my buddy says, yo, you should play football. I'm like, no way, dude. Football's for dorks. I like magic. He's like, okay, man. So, But he said, I'll never forget this. He said, but you can hit that guy and not get in trouble. And I was like, well, that actually sounds pretty cool. So during the day, I I got good at hitting people. And it it felt good to get out rage and anger and and confusion, right? So during the day, I would go, and I would just hit people. And then at night, I would go, and I would sit down. I I, I had two CDs. I had Yanni and John Sakata, okay? So (laughs) it's either just another day without you, right, on repeat. (laughs) Or I liked Yanni track number nine, Felista, which had this violin and piano. So imagine this 12-year-old kid sitting at a table lighting a candle and I would just shuffle cards at this table, listening to Yanni on repeat. Okay, that was, and I loved every second. And the next thing you know, it'd be like nine at night, and then midnight, and then one in the morning, then two, then three. I'm, like, I gotta go to bed. And that became my day. And it was like hit people, go to school, hit people, come home, and just veg.
0: Right. I mean, but look, you're the real deal. I watch you on TV. I watch you in the in the videos that are posted on on the internet. I, I mean, I was the guy doing the the guillotine through my <laughs> finger that cut the celery at the bottom. Did, did you, are you, like, you never even stopped at that level, it seems to me.
1: Yeah, you know. Did you I, ever
0: just go to, like, the the Disneyland magic store and pay $5 for, you know, the pencil through the card? All the time. You N- did.
1: Well, well, so pencil through bills It's called Miss It's <laughs> one of my favorite <laughs> tricks of all time. <laughs> David Copperfield did it. I'm over. Uh, and what's funny is that trick got discontinued, okay? oh And so I had one. And all of a sudden, it was like, you know, so what did I do? I, I called the guy that made it. He was coming out with it. And Okay, I I had a dream when I was a kid, and and there's a couple. One of them is I wanted a wall full of cards. I just wanted brand new decks of cards, and Mm. I just want to look at them. I want to smell them, because they were expensive when you're a kid. Yeah. So there it is. Boom, I got a wall in my house that's just thousands of decks of cards, and they're on a shelf, and it's it's like my art. Uh, And then this trick, I wanted to always be able to do it, and I'm like, if it ever comes out, I'm going to buy thousands of them. So I called the guy, and I was like, hey, I want to buy 3,000. He's like, well, it's not really No, no, I don't want to sell them. I just want to look at them. <laughs> like, to display them. I want them in yeah, my like closet. Yeah, yeah, I want them in my closet. Right. I'll never sell them. I don't need packaging. I'll buy them. But I want to know that I can do this trick forever. If it ever gets discontinued. That just... is wild. Yeah. And, and they're just pencil, right? It's just pencils, yeah. right? Yeah. So, uh, but it's funny, kind of the the aspirations you have as a kid and what's important. It's like, it wasn't the car. It wasn't this. It was, I wanted a wall of cards and I wanted a box full of pencils and you know, here I am, 41 years old, and I got my box of pencils and a wall of cards.
0: My, my elementary school buddy, and he's still a friend of mine, Jim Benstead, but he was the one to turn us all into amateur magicians, and he had rabbits that you would display. I think there were four of them. And then he would fold the deck a different way and they would vanish, right? You're laughing. As well, a, no, they,
1: you know what I mean? It, it had nothing to do with the folding of the deck that they vanished to it. A, oh, a farm did I and, just give something no, up on no, it? <laughs> but they just, I always, it's funny because you said that because when I, I, I did this dove thing in college and then it wasn't until after I was like, oh my gosh, I, I thought this dove would just go into some farm in Omaha. And, <laughs> and then when I need it, you clap your hands and it would appear and then it right. would go back to this farm. So I did this dove thing, and I'm like, dude, now i got to take care of this thing. Right. So there was this kid magician. I, I totally pawned the dove off in college. I was like, hey. I was kind of mentoring him, you know, and I'm like, you know, you should really get into dove magic. He's like, really? I'm like, here's the cage, here's the <laughs> bird. And as he's leaving my house, his dad's like, are you serious right now? So, But what's really cool <sighs> is what magic did for me, right? It, you know, Magic's different for everybody, but for me, it was connection. For me, it was purpose. For me, it was um, just escaping. And for this kid, here's what happened. The dove. I give it to the kid. And lo and behold, that actually reunited him and his dad. So they built a coop outside. They got more birds. And then nice. that, that became something that the son and the dad had in common now. And it kind of, you know, years later, he told me, thank you for that.
0: True or false. But for Pamela Anderson, Ooh. you would never have made
1: it to the NFL. That's probably pretty true. I'm going I'm to so? go with true. So, uh, well, the sex tape. Famous, right. Right. And, and yeah. what, what was everybody doing? They were copying it. And back then it was a VHS tape. Right. Oh, so I heard. So I heard they were right. It, right. Or Betamax, uh, Right. Yeah. Beta. And, and you would hook the wires up on the back of a uh, VCR and then you'd hit play, pause, record and you would record it. So look, back then I was I was a, I was a really good high school player. Didn't get any scholarships. I went to the worst junior college in the country. No scholarships. I thought I was good. Uh, and so now it was time and I, I put my highlight tape together. Well, next thing you know, Tim Thurman was a six six long snapper. Really good long snapper. At the time, I hadn't snapped in like two years. So I was like, you know what? I'll just take some of his highlights. And I did the play, pause, record. Cut it. Boom. And then Nick Heinley was number 48. I was 47. Both kind of stocky white guys. He would just hit you really, really hard. So I would take his big hits. Play, pause, record. Play, pause, record. Now I got this ultimate highlight. Now back then, there was no... Hi- oh, wait. Highlights, but not of you. Well- highlights of others. Highlights. I just yeah, said highlights. Highlights. <laughs> highlights. It was right. highlights. Right. And it was open for interpretation. But back then, we didn't have the internet. The internet still wasn't big. We didn't have HD cameras. There wasn't like 50 cameras at practice. So it was like the standard definition in the back of the end zone and on the sideline. And if, if the coach said, that's him, uh, you couldn't even tell a number. As long as we were both white guys. Right. right? I mean, it's like. Right. As long as. It, and, you know, lo and behold, my buddy was at UTEP. They were like, hey, this kid's great. Um, which I should be. I was, it was three of us. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I hope I was great. And they gave me a full ride to be a long snapper, and that's, that was my start in the snapper. The
0: only way that story would be improved upon is if somehow in your editing, a little Pamela Anderson got in there. Just a little
1: blurb. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah. But you obviously taught yourself that skill set.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I did it my senior year in high school, uh, and I had a knack for it, but I wasn't good. And so now it just became about focus, and people ask me the, the similarities between magic and football. I think that's it. Like, snapping is something that's it's, it's repetitive, right? It's, it's It's the same thing over and over and over, and there's not much variance. Uh, I like doing something over and over and over in search of a perfect rep, and snapping was that for me.
0: Why is there need? I, I ask as one who used to hold for extra points on my high school team. Which is hard, by the way. People don't realize thank that's you. a hard thank job, you for man. that. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I, I, I'll never forget bungling one against Council Rock <laughs> and coming off and the line coach telling me, one more and you're off um why do you need a long snapper why why is that something that the normal guys can't do
1: um the only way that's a great question it's the same thing like why do you need a kicker why can't a normal guy kick it (laughs) why, why do you need a quarterback why can't you just put a guy in there to throw it it's a specialty and and i think it's like 80 something percent of the games are determined by a field goal or less so so you're basically a free throw shooter in basketball but you can't miss because the games usually come down to that margin of that one shot so I, I would go out, I'd snap 10 or 11, you know, snaps a game, and you better be a, a, a perfect. So you're kind of like a sniper, if you will, in, in football. And, um, uh, you know, uh, the other thing, too, is now it's gotten so specialized that, like, like, if you have a tight end, well, if that guy breaks his finger, then you're in, you're in bad shape. It's hard to snap or throw with, with a broken hand. So now all of a sudden they specialized it so that you have minimum risk of getting hurt during the game, right? So they're trying to manage that. And each team only has one. So if if I go down, which I went down, uh, I tied the record for the most consecutive games played in Philadelphia Eagles history. As soon as they announced me on the Jumbotron, I tied the great Harold Carmichael, Okay, which you know Harold. Inducted, by the way, a week ago into, into the, the Hall, Hall of Fame. Fame. I yeah. tied his record from the 70s. They literally go, ladies and gentlemen, congratulations, John Dornbos, most consecutive game. Tying the great Harold <laughs> Carmichael. The very next play. Hit the wrist, shatter it, three surgeries. So I tied. I won 162. Um, you know, but, uh, there, there, was a point to that story. I, I forgot what it do was. Do you, but.
0: do you think, uh, that you would have been as successful as you have been in a variety of contexts, but for the tragedy that you've had to live with?
1: Yeah. Um, that has definitely motivated me. And, and, and from what I went through, it was the therapy, it was family, it was guidance and it was being thrown into. So, so again, before the internet, right? So, We didn't know about sex and and drugs and violence and murder and all these things that kids are exposed to at such a young age because they can just Google it. I didn't even know what that was. And so at such a young age back then, I was thrown into adult situations that I I grew up fast. So at 13 years old, I felt like a lot more mature and more grown up than the kids around me because of what what I'd been exposed to. And it it made me realize how much I wanted to do in this world. And, And a question I always ask myself is, did my mom die happy? And I ask myself that all the time. And if she didn't, then what, what, what's what do you think? Worth? Yeah. What's it worth? Um, I, I tell myself, I hope, you know, but what it does is it makes me put myself in a position that I hope I do and I can control that. And uh, so anytime something happens to me, I, I, I don't say uh, that this is happening to me. I say, this is happening for me. Just little things. I tell myself ways. I talk to myself that change my perspective from becoming a victim that change my perspective from making excuses to, This is going to happen either way. So this happened for me. Why is it happening? Let's make the best of this. Let's find the good. And the quicker we can find happiness, the quicker we're going to rock and roll. Because every one of us is going to struggle. Everybody in life is going to struggle.
0: For a guy who's, I'm, I'm hesitant to even bring it up, but it's such a part of your life. And I'm not going to ask to walk through it again. When the book came out, I definitely did that. But for a guy whose father killed his mother and then later recognizes he had a congenital heart defect at birth which then shorted your career still an amazing NFL career to then write a book titled life is magic is going to sound a little odd to people
1: yeah and, and and what I'm really proud about the book is I think when it first came out people automatically assumed sports book because I was an athlete the book is about my journey of finding forgiveness and it leads up to my me seeing my dad for the first time in 27 years And I'd wanted to see him for years. I had questions. I had more curiosity, but nothing in life stemmed action. Nothing in life got me to stand up and actually seek this journey. And then my wife got pregnant. And I realized I had my hand on her belly, and I realized that it's time. And I wanted to go see my dad because I told my wife there's three words I've never said out loud. I've never said I forgive you out loud. I've never said that. And I think it's time. And she just, whoa. And the reason is I wanted to sit across from him. I wanted to have lunch with him. And I wanted to relive that my entire life. All the pain, the agony, the hurt, the betrayal. I wanted to think about the memories that we should have had with my mom and dad, what could have been. And instead of having resentment, instead of having wanting revenge, and instead of wishing hatred on them, I just wanted to cleanse my soul and say, look, I forgive you for making what a does, mistake.
0: What does that mean, I forgive you? I,
1: I don't know literally what that means. Yeah, it's hardcore. It's different for everybody. And this is where I think there's a roadblock, where people think... Uh, people that can't forgive, uh, I find that they find that it's uh, to them. It's about winning and losing. It's about I agree with you. It's about let's go be buddies. Uh, let's go hang out. What you did is OK. Don't worry about it. I'll just wave the red flag. I surrender. And what I figured is that it has nothing to do with the other person. It, it, it has everything to do with me coming to terms with my own reality and me living my life and not letting somebody no longer in my life affect my life. Think about friends that get divorced, right? 10 years later, the other one still hates the other one. You guys haven't talked to each other in 10 years. Why are you so resentful? You're wasting every day worried about something that doesn't exist in your life anymore. So I don't have a relationship with my dad. So I had this cloud, right? And I would think about it daily. And it was time for me to wash that. And it was time for me to be okay with where I come from, be okay with what it is. So me forgiving him was me saying, I'm okay with who I am as a person. I'm not going to make the same decisions he made. And me forgiving him is I'm not going to let him negatively affect my thoughts and my mind when he's no longer in my life. But is that
0: really forgiveness? Maybe it's I don't understand what the meaning of that word is as you're using it, because to me, forgiveness is something different. It's it's not only am I going to lead my life and not allow you to alter the way in which I approach it. Forgiveness to me implies that you're almost giving not a pass, but some level of understanding
1: to the person that you're forgiving. Well, there, therein lies the beauty of self-discovery from tragedy to self-discovery. And sometimes you're redefining terms and words that fit your soul to find happiness. And I, I, there is a, there is a, a sense that if you, if I were to look at it from my dad's perspective, that's probably what he's thinking. But if it doesn't mean that to me, I don't really care what he thinks. So you can say that you're surrendering and waving the white flag and you're okay with it because in a sense you are okay with it. Because you're okay with your life, because you're okay with moving forward, because we can't change the past. So in in, a, in in terms of forgiving, there is a sense of you have to come to terms with your reality. And what does that mean? It means being okay with it. So
0: you had lunch. It was like a five-hour lunch with your dad after 26 years.
1: Am I right? Yeah, 26, 27 years.
0: And and I don't want to give away too much of the book. I want to sell the book. The book is called Life is Magic by John Dorenboss. I don't want to tell too many stories that are in it, but at the end of the book, yeah, you're know, you you're together again with him.
1: It, of course, begs the question, have you seen him since? Uh, I have not, and nor have I wanted to, nor have I had a desire to. Um, I think if, if you buy the book and you read the, the very front uh, thing, it says, uh, for my wife who turned my heart right side up, and it says to my daughter, Amaya, who you're, you'll forever be able to have lunch with your daddy. And, and at the end of the book, it's amazing Ooh, man. because that right there, when my daughter was born, that's the first thing I told her, I, I, I held her, I, I almost, I was like able to kind of pull her out. It was amazing. And I cried and I said, you're going to forever, you'll forever, forever be able to have lunch with me. And that's symbolic to life. I, I'm going to be there. I never got to have lunch with my dad, my whole life. And in so many great moments of my life, so many achievements, you want your dad there and your, your mom and you want to share it. I know ne- I never did that. And so not that I didn't have figures in my life, but it's different. And so uh, that that symbolism of, hey, I'm going to do everything I can in my life to be better than where I come from. I I think that's what it is, too. Right. Everybody out there, we we can all be better and and we can make excuses from where we come from. I can use my dad as a crutch or I can say I'm going to wake up and be better and I'm going to put my kid in a better position and I'm going to live the father child relationship through the eyes of a dad now and not have bitterness that I went through what I went through. Instead, I'm going to do everything I can for my little girl to be everything I never had and to change the negative things in this world. Does he reach out for you? You know he did shortly after we we took a picture together, which is in the book. Yeah, uh, you're 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 unsmiling. Yeah, and, and, and what's what's weird about he's, that picture? He's happy. So my wife saw that picture, and that's the first thing she said. She goes, "I've never seen you not smile in a picture." And when I stood next to him, <clears> um, as you're probably familiar, we go places, people ask to take our picture. You get in picture mode, so you just automatically smile, sure, and you yeah. have your picture face. Yeah. I, I did that, and I I literally had to catch myself and be like, "That's weird. Like, how do you feel right now?" And I just stood there. And it was like it literally was the moment where I went, oh, S.H.I.T. I just had lunch with my dad. Like this just happened.
0: There was one there was one thing in the book that that really puzzled me. And I, I know that you think it was the right call. And, I, and then I'll get off the, 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 the sort of grisly aspect of this story. But the therapist who recommended that you look at yeah. the autopsy photos of your mom. I'm like, wow, man, when I read that part of the book, and, and then I know later that may have given you some solace because of what you're now discussing. Do you think in retrospect that was the right call?
1: Yeah. So every, a lot of people didn't understand it, right? And a lot of people were upset at him. Uh, during the trial, the autopsy were, were angled in a way that only the jurors could see. So he went and got a court order. My sister and I were the youngest minors to ever have a private court order of an autopsy photo. We go to the DA's office. She walks in, puts the folder on the, on the table, and she just said, I can't believe you're doing this. So she leaves. Now it's just my sister, him, and I. And he goes, a lot of people think I want you to see these pictures. And he goes, I don't care. But it shouldn't be anybody else's decision but yours. It's your life. How old were you? I was uh, 12. Oof. oof yeah. Man, that's tough. Yeah, I mean, you're old enough to to remember and, and to realize what's going on, right? <clears throat> and uh, I just, I remember him saying, if you want to look at these pictures, look at it. Uh, but I'll tell you this. If you ever want to go see your dad one day, and nobody wants to think of that right now. I, I get that. But. If you look at the pictures, it'll be for reasons other than wanting to know what happened, because this is your life. This is what happened. And you'll never ask yourself that question. I'm going to leave. And if you want to look, look, if you don't, don't. But this whole thing was about it should be your decision. So he left and my sister and I, we, we looked and then uh, uh, I didn't have nightmares about it. I didn't. It was just kind of like a blur. But here we go. Twenty seven years later, I was on a plane to go see my dad. And I remember looking outside saying, I'll be damned. I'm going to see my dad for reasons other than wanting to know what happened. In fact, the idea of wanting to know what happened never even came in in my thought process. It was about clarity, cleansing soul, and finding motivation to be a better dad. That's what the whole thing was about.
0: As if that wasn't enough for John Dornboss to go through as a young person, then you have a great NFL career, you're still in your NFL career, you get traded to the Saints, and Am I right that it's because of the trade that triggers this
1: like mandatory? What happens when you get traded? So, yeah. So when you get traded, you're an asset. And so obviously whoever's going to take you on board is going to make sure that you're healthy and and good to go before they pay you. Right. Uh, So the doctors were out of town. So I I got traded to New Orleans and uh, I played in a game. The next morning I had a physical, which was complete standard operating procedure. I didn't think any of it. And then the doctor was like, hey, something's not sounding right. We're going to send you to the hospital. Eh, no problem. Let's go. So I go to the hospital. I do a bunch of uh, tests on my heart. I go back. I get ready for practice. My phone rings. And now keep keep in mind, I'm 37. I just signed a three-year extension for more money than I'd ever seen. All black uniforms, which is totally slimming for an aging, pudgy, <laughs> 37-year-old white guy. <laughs> We're in a dome. Okay, so now right. 13 of the 16 games are inside. Like, no more Northeast weather. No more Philly snow. <laughs> right. All right, a- again, make the best of the situation, right? This is happening. So... I'm like excited the team was excited to have me. I, I, I filled a void and I solved a problem for him. I was playing with Drew Brees phone rings and, and it basically, uh, this was the exact conversation. I remember it perfectly as uh, this John. Yeah. Uh, this is the uh, um, cardiologist and the surgeon at uh, the Louisiana hospital here. Uh, are you sitting down? No. Why don't you sit down? Okay. All right. Here's the deal. You're never playing football ever again. And you're going to be in emergency open heart surgery, probably within 72 hours. Holy crap. So uh, don't lift anything heavy. Don't laugh. Don't cough. Don't drink soda, don't drink caffeine, don't drink coffee, you know, try not to cough, all these things, right? Uh, the doctors and trainers are on their way. As that happens, the doors open and here come doctors and trainers and then I get escorted in and then they start showing me the problem I had. And, uh, you know, it's funny, you you tell yourself a story, right? And so, long story short, uh, I, I did an interview and a guy asked me uh, when I first signed in Philly, uh, your mom saying Wind Beneath My Wings at her funeral. And I was like, holy cow, yeah. And he goes, I just want to let you know that you're in Philly, you're an eagle now. So whenever you need the wind, just Open the wings, and, and the city's rooting for you. I thought that was really cool. So the story I told myself, because it makes a difference, right? When I got traded to New Orleans, I, I had to make sense of it because I got angry, bitter. My career's not going to end like this. I've worked too hard, right? All these things cross your mind. And I, I remembered that interview. I remember having the wind beneath my wings. And then the story I told myself was, oh, I, I get it. My mom traded me to New Orleans to have my life saved by a saint. And Drew Brees walked by when I got the news. And it was her way of saying, sometimes in life, you just got to step out of the wind and catch a breeze. So, though you might want to play football, oh, guess what? Wow. You're alive, kid. And so, my Woof, wife. So, my wife. It's a lot. Yeah. So, then my. And, and that's. So, you know, in my book, I try and, and express all the ways that I talk to myself to write a script of my own life that puts me on a path where I want to go. You know, look, I'm a chick flick guy, right? How to lose a guy in 10 days. Come on, Notting Hill. I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. I love this stuff. And what I noticed in the movies I like, they all have happy endings. There's always a down. Yeah. And so in life, when there's a down, I stop and I write my script. And how, if I was a movie right now, how is this movie going to end? And I would, I would imagine the greatest ending of all time. And then when I stand up, you just wrote your path. Just go act it out. Just go make decisions that support the vision you just had. Now, you might not end up there, but you're going to end up some, somewhere better than where you are. It's unbelievable. Uh, so that's and, I, and I'm proud Ooh. to say that there was only one guy I wanted to make a movie if I ever had a movie on my life, and his name was Mike Tolan, who's a Philly guy. Yeah, good he, guy. Oh, good guy. Good guy. He <laughs> did the Last Dance. Did a bunch of other stuff. And John Gatons, who who got an Academy nomination for Flight, is writing the script. And um, so so is. Wait a minute. Is Tolan doing your book as a, yeah. a movie? Yeah. Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. And so, and, and that's awesome. And what's really cool is creatively, I, I wanted to step back because, I mean, the reality is this. is it, it's Wait really, a minute. Who, who plays you? Well, he doesn't know yet, but mm-hmm. I, I'm going to call Chris Pratt. So if you're out there, uh, I think that'd be killer, right? Or John Krasinski and I are friends. I, John or you know, uh, Toland like, likes Miles Teller, who's a Philly guy. You
0: think, you think you'll think be able to teach
1: whomever it is to, to long snap? Oh, uh, we're, well, I know I can teach you how to get ran over. I mean, that's easy, <laughs> right? Which I, I had that happen to me a bunch. Um, but, you know, we don't know yet. We're in the development. They're writing the script. And um, it's, it's interesting to kind of I, I don't want to be involved too much because it's super easy to write a great movie on yourself. Sure. I want it to be real. I want it yeah. people's perspective and the good, the bad, the ugly. And so kind of hearing how they want to tell the story has been fun because they're like, look, it's real easy to just tell your story, but that's boring. So to creatively tell it has been uh, and hearing their ideas is cool.
0: The book is called Life is Magic, My Inspiring Journey from Tragedy to Self-Discovery. The links are in all my social media right now to make it nice and easy. The author is John Dornbos. Are you back on the road yet as a speaker
1: yeah, so the speaking industry has come back. So my my core business is keynote speaking, which I love. And what, that, typically, to what kind of a group? All, I mean, from financial services. We'll, get, let's to a, we'll try and
0: get you some gigs here so yeah, that I mean, can be your opening act. Yeah, oh, let's do little, this. Little man. politics, and then yeah. and then
1: you inspire. Yeah, so you know, look, I'll depress the shit out of them, and then you come <laughs> along and tell them life is magic. Yeah, baby. Um, it, it's it's all of them, right? In the speaking industry, you're talking to you know the the associations, the unions, the the financial firms, the. Uh, um, I mean, Tim's behind me. He's the one that kind of manages everything. He, he can tell you better. But if there's a company out there, we're speaking for him. And uh, any company that basically wants to inspire and motivate their employees to um, to to, to uh, be able to teach what leadership, self-accountability, self-talk, anything positive. Right. In the positive space to Love to, it. to shift culture. The reason I had a job in the NFL for 14 years wasn't just because I was a long snapper. But now that I'm gone, I now see the value I brought to a locker room in shaping culture and people. And that, that, to me, is what I do. You are
0: having a remarkable life, really. And I'm happy for all your success, really thrilled for your success. And it's a privilege to have you in studio. So thank you for being oh, here. Dude,
1: thank you. And, and, uh, life
0: yeah. is magic. Life is magic.
1: Yeah. And if you can make shows, we're doing theaters now. So we'll be at the, the Borgata in Atlantic City this Friday, uh, 730 and 1030. And then we're going down to MGM National Harbor. Uh, and what I like about my show, it's not just a kind of a gratuitous magic show. It's it's my life story. So I, I I'm tweeting.
0: Everyone. I'm tweeting as we speak. Cool. The details of those shows, so folks can come and hear John Dornbus sign the guest registry before you leave here. And For thank sure. you so much. I really appreciate having
1: you. Thank you. Spring, is that you?